Macworld Podcast number 290 for February 29th, 2012. Welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Senior Associate Editor Dan Morin, and I'm here to talk a little bit about sandboxing. And with me, I have uh, former Macworld Senior Editor and developer at Many Tricks, uh, Rob Griffiths. Hi, Rob. Hello, Dan. Thanks for being here. No problem. Glad to be here. We're also joined by Red Sweater Software founder, Daniel Jalkut. Daniel, thanks for being here. Hey, Dan. Hey, Rob. Hi, Dan. Um, and so, uh, as I said, we're going to talk a little bit about sandboxing. Now, sandboxing, to just sort of give a brief overview, is essentially a, uh, a practice uh, by which software is sort of set up in its own particular little sandbox, as the metaphor goes, in which it can't interfere with what other software does, what other applications have stored for data, for example. Um, it's most familiar probably to most Apple product users as the way that iOS works. Um, on your iOS apps, they can't really interact much with each other's data unless they're given sort of specific uh, permissions or built into other types of software. Um, but Apple has been looking at expanding that to the Mac OS, which has not traditionally been a sandbox system. Um, and so recently they pushed back for the second time the deadline for the date where all Mac App Store apps had to be sandboxed. It was March 1st. It has now been pushed to June 1st. Um, and so to sort of start off, I'd like to talk about a little bit about, first, what's what are the good aspects of sandboxing? Daniel, I know you, you've sort of given this some thought. Um, do you have some some input on, on what you think the benefits to users and developers are of sandboxing. Oh, sure. Yeah. The, you know, there's a lot of great things that we can expect to see come from sandboxing, assuming it goes through um, as planned. Um, as a developer, first of all, the, the yeah, um, it's great in the sense that it can kind of give you this uh, protection around your own ability to make mistakes. So like kind of a classic fear for developers is, you know, you're, you're trying to, um, you know, throw away, throw in the trash a particular file that your app created for a user, and because of some mistake in your code, you accidentally uh, throw away or delete the whole hard drive. That's just kind of like, you know, this has happened to uh, more than one developer in in the world in the history of programming, and we all just hope that it's not going to be us uh, one day who has to uh, face such a devastating mistake. And one of the great things about sandboxing is it will actually prevent that kind of thing from happening unilaterally because, you know, as you said, uh, one, of the, one of the whole points of sandboxing is to put uh, software into a little box where um, the whole universe of things that the application is even capable of doing is restricted to these very prescribed specific things like, um, you know, writing to... Uh, a specific location that the user chooses or, um, you know, saving files to a specific location on the disk that the operating system has given to the application for its work. So from that point of view, um, from a developer uh, view, there's really something to be gained in the, um, in the uh, extent to which we'll be able to sort of breathe more freely, uh, assured that we're not going to accidentally screw up something uh, on the user's computer. And the benefits to the user are sort of obvious, uh, the inverse of that, that they, they will be protected implicitly from accidents or malicious behavior uh, in the apps that they run. Um, you know, there's, there's still going to be room for applications to make mistakes, to, um, to accidentally delete files, for instance, you know, uh, 
an application that is designed to be something that manages and works with your photo files could still accidentally delete a bunch of your photo files. But the scope of what that application is able to do um, is so uh, precisely defined that the risk uh, both to the v developer and to the users is is mitigated quite a bit by the um, by the whole concept of of sandboxing to prescribe what abilities an app has on a user's system. Right. Well, Rob, I know you've you've maybe had some some criticism of sandboxing, but from the perspective of of you know the, the products that many tricks produces, uh, do you see benefits to uh, the sandboxing approach for them? Uh, sort of. Um, the, the The problem with our products is that the, the the vast majority of our products are utilities that are sort of designed to work across the system or across applications. So, in the sense that a sandbox restricts you to working within your own application's environment, well, a lot of our applications don't have an environment. They they help other programs do things. Uh, you know, our bestseller is Moom, which is a window management tool, and all it does is resize and move windows in other applications. So we don't necessarily have a sandbox for Moom to play in because we affect all applications. So our challenge with sandboxing is is that that's our biggest challenge is that. At the moment, uh, the way things are defined, Apple is not uh, allowing a lot of inter-application communication, which, which, if you think about it from a logical standpoint, makes sense because, in theory, that's uh, a bad way to break a sandbox is to let programs talk to other programs. So we are currently working with developer services to try to figure out what uh, will or will not be allowed well, once this thing goes final in June because it would definitely have an impact on our utility-type programs. For a program like uh, Usher, which is our movie management tool, uh, yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense uh, both from our standpoint and from a user standpoint. We don't see necessarily a huge downside to a sandbox, um, but for our utility-type applications, we are we're concerned uh, at the current state of sandboxing. Now, around the same time that, that Apple rolled back this deadline a week or so ago, um, it also was the announcement, uh, Apple also announced Mountain Lion. And Mountain Lion includes a, a new feature called Gatekeeper, which we've discussed at length on Macworld, which is sort of a security feature to help prevent malware spreading. And it, it allows for developers to sort of sign up for an encrypted certificate that Apple would provide um, that lets them sort of sign their own code and, uh, you know, put their stamp of approval on it and say this is definitely not malware. Um, and some people have sort of suggested that this is, uh, you know, a, com a complementary technique to sandboxing or could it be replacing sandboxing? I mean, how do you feel about this as a, as a set of te techniques, especially since, you know, it's sort of an alternative to going in the Mac App Store, which it seems at some point will require sandboxing? Yeah, um, fr from our standpoint, uh, personally, we would love it if it were to replace sandboxing. I mean, one of our concerns with sandboxing in general is that the Mac itself is still an open platform. So it, you don't have to use a sandbox to write a Mac application, at least as far as we know, through Mountain Lion. So anybody who wants to write a piece of malware can write it and distribute it on a hacked website and users will still be exposed to it. Um, and yet we're enforcing sandboxing on the people that have chosen to play by the rules for the last year and a few months. You know, we wanted to be in the app store. So we followed all the app store's rules and we have our programs in there. And just artificially, as of June 1st, all of a sudden they're going to be persona non grata because they aren't sandboxed applications. So 
to to me that that it's always this this you know we've been playing by the rules we've been doing it right and all of a sudden we're told we're violating the rules but but the people that are really violating the rules are the people that aren't in the sandbox to begin sorry aren't in the app store to begin with and they have no new rules they necessarily have to play by so it sort of seems a, an odd environment to enforce this rule on the people that have been trying to do things the right way Daniel any any thoughts to add on that well well I think um. You know, I, I'm hesitant to say outright that I would rather see the sandbox go away. I think it offers such potential for value that, um, you know, I, there's two things to to keep in mind. There's sandboxing as a technology, and then there's sandboxing as a policy. And what a lot of us are facing right now is sort of anxiety about, in particular, what sandboxing as a policy for the Mac App Store means. So, uh, you know, you can imagine... A scenario where sandboxing goes forward, but there's no change to the current policy on the Mac App Store. And what that would um, provide is a means for developers of applications that do fit very well into the sandboxed model to take advantage of that for their benefit, for the user benefit. Um, and I think that, that you know, I, I don't think that's like a, a waste of technology or a useless technology. I think that has value. Um but uh, from a strictly um, security point of view and, you know, the, sort of the bang for the buck you get for a technology, I do think Gatekeeper will be more impactful on users' security. Um, the, the, the fact that it sort of um, associates, uh, you know, I, I wrote a blog post about this, the, uh, the sandbox, and I, and I sort of pointed out that while Gatekeeper um, strictly defines who... Uh, an app was developed by the sandbox strictly defines what the app does. And really for um, purposes of nefarious behavior, that is not non-accidental destructive behavior of apps. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that who uh, developed your app is much more important to you than um, specifically what it's trying to do. Because, you know, um, I can tell you that there is 0% chance that uh, many tricks, for example, would want to do any damage to my computer. I feel I have, you know, 100% trust in that software company. And I think um, that the gatekeeper, that's the gist of that, is the ability to give users a sort of a um, a mechanism through which they can trust uh, certain classes of software developer, uh, i.e. ones that have developed, uh, have, uh, you know, registered with Apple, gone to the trouble to be, part of this community in a way that um, is, you know, more involved than just uh, putting a, a, an application in an email attachment and sending it to you. So, uh, you know, long winded, I'm sorry, but um, basically I do think sandboxing is so useful as a, um, as a tool for prescribing the intent of an application that I would like to see it developed into technologies and policies that, really empower the user without, um, you know, posing this threat to whole classes of applications like, you know, some of mine, some of Rob's, many of many of us uh, developers, not even just uh, developers of uh, utilities specifically, but, you know, whole features of apps that, um, that, that uh, users are accustomed to using will be affected by this. And it seems like that is an unfortunate sort of byproduct of the current sandboxing 
uh, strategy that we're seeing from Apple. Well, and it seems like to a certain extent, right, that this is part of, so, you know, the way Apple's rolling this out is to say apps in the Mac App Store past a certain date will have to be sandboxed. Now, obviously, we saw with Mountain Lion's announcement that, um, well, Apple will provide an option for users to say, hey, I only want to allow software that's installed from the Mac App Store. It is still, as Rob said, letting, you know, letting users opt to, you know, keep things uh, you know, as an open system, install things f- from anywhere. And so, uh, you know, I'm sort of curious in terms of this going forward, if ever, as Rob points out, you know, this is sort of not exactly a penalty, but the, the onus of this responsibility is placed on Mac App Store developers. Um, does that sort of, you know, presage a future where the Mac App Store is, as it is on iOS, the only way to get your software? Uh, uh, just speaking personally, I, I hope that's never true because uh, even in today's environment, some of the coolest software out there does things that are in violation of the Mac App Store rules. And I'll just toss out the virtualization software. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us that do a lot with our Macs have found virtualization software to be, uh, for me at least, it's it's a requirement now. I put it on every Mac I have. Uh, it helps test applications that we develop. It helps me test other applications without destroying my normal environment. But uh, those programs are not App Store eligible. So if Apple locked down the platform and didn't provide a way for those store those programs to get in the App Store, they'd be gone. Uh, you know, and the, the interesting thing about the sandbox rule is that uh, as of June first, you have to be sandboxed, but you will not be kicked out if you're not sandboxed. So we will actually have two classes of applications in the App Store on June first. Some have been sandboxed and can be updated with major new features. Others will not have been sandboxed and can have bug fixes, but no major features. And uh, I'm not sure if Apple's going to do anything to differentiate. You know, this is a sandboxed app. This is a not sandboxed app uh, to potential buyers. Uh, sort of an interesting, you know, decision that uh, they're going to allow our programs to stay there, which I am very thankful for. But on the same hand, on the other hand, it sends an interesting message to users that sandboxing is important, but you can still download these non-sandboxed applications. Yeah, I think the um, the key uh, Apple's so good at this like slow, patient kind of trod into the future, and this is um, you know obviously just the first step is. Oh, actually, you know the first step was. You know, last summer when they convinced a bunch of us that they were going to be turning this switch on in uh, September or whatever. And so the first step was getting us to actually take this seriously and start the process of analyzing our apps for sandboxing, et cetera, et cetera. Now it feels like these sort of um, repeated uh, deferrals have been sort of steps along the way to actually getting a substantial number of Mac App Store apps sandboxed by June and after that point, I think it's just going to be sort of in Apple's, um, you know, it's going to be up to them how they choose to strategize going forward what this portion of the App Store being sandboxed means. Um, you know, I I, uh, I can see them continuing to sweeten sandboxing for developers in, in lots of subtle ways. It could go from as, as subtle as, um, let's say, at, at WWDC this year, let's say, Maybe um, Apple Design Awards are only awarded to sandboxed apps. That would be something I wouldn't put past Apple. And they like to highlight apps that uh, embrace their latest technologies and philosophies. Uh, on the on the far more extreme end, we could have a situation where, sure, by um, strict definition, our apps that are not sandboxed are allowed to stay in the Mac App Store. But what if there's um, you know a default view in the App Store app? Uh, 
that includes all the sandbox apps. And then there's a little link in the corner that says something like install unsafe software. Yeah. Well, and, you know, <laughs> it's effectively would effectively be killing um, our apps in the app store. But uh, while uh, as a technicality, allowing them to remain. Yeah, we had that I had that conversation with a friend. Basically, we'll get a you know, scarlet letter that basically says, do you want to install this risky, untested, unproven piece of code that may delete everything on your hard drive? Click yes to proceed. You know, like, uh, <laughs> or or sure. in, Apple's, in Apple's sense, not even providing a click yes, right? Right. Have to go and squirrel back to find it. Now, I'm curious, since this has, you know, as Daniel, you alluded to, this has been delayed a couple times now. And I've heard certainly from plenty of developers that, um, you know, the system as it stands right now is, to their minds, incomplete in terms of what they can actually – there's stuff that even in a sandboxed app, they feel like they should be able to do um, that is just not available. And so is this sort of like slow rollout process? Do you think this is sort of, as you're saying, Apple's attempt to get – you know, people sort of on board slowly by scaring them into saying, oh, we have this deadline. Or is it more of that it's sort of still in progress? It's not fully baked yet, and they will make continued uh, edits to it as they go along. Well, my sense is that they acknowledge um, that it's evolving. You know, it, they, they do acknowledge that by the fact that in 10.7.3, there are public um, – enhancements to the sandbox that change what it means to you know it, it literally changes what the limits are for a sandbox app from what um sandbox apps in 10.7 10.7.1 etc could could do so the very fact that they um are modifying as time goes on at least with 10.7.3 what it means to be a sandboxed app makes me think and makes me a little bit optimistic, actually. First of all, that they admit that they concede that you know the sandbox wasn't born um, in 10.7 as a perfectly sculpted, uh, complete technology, but also sort of makes me wonder if you know quietly, secretly behind the scenes, Apple has been treating this whole 10.7 based sandboxing thing as kind of a elaborate public beta. You know, um, I think some of us uh, developers are hoping that. Ultimately, when the um, the sandbox uh, you know, sandboxing is required in the app store, that maybe we can do something like mark our apps as um, sandboxed, but only in say ten point eight. I don't know ten point nine, whatever. Sometime down the road, where um, we hope that the sandbox is mature enough to really accommodate all the things that users expect from their apps. Yeah, and I think that's really the key, Daniel, is that if it goes live with what we know today, I think a lot of users will be shocked uh, by what they can't do. You know, there there are things that, that people take for granted with drag and drop. Uh, one of our apps uh, renames batch files, and one of the ways we do that in the current rules, we wouldn't be allowed to use, and it's something that people do naturally and logically every day with dragging and dropping of files from some random location on their hard drive. So it, it, I, th I think I agree with you. Apple definitely has been – experimenting is probably not necessarily the right word, but they, they rolled out a base set and then have, have it appears they've been sort of listening, although there are things that we keep asking for that – are not necessarily being listened to yet uh, that we hope are coming that will enable more, you know, there, there's bad inter-application communication, but there's useful inter-application communication. And, and and it's our hope that they find a way to enable the useful bits so that programs that do things with other programs will have a future in a sandboxed world. 
Well, and do you think, I mean, given that you're, as you mentioned, so many of your apps are utilities that interact with a whole bunch of different apps on the system. Um, is there a way for, you think, going forward for sandboxing and your types of apps, those types of system utilities to coexist? Or is the way that those utilities works just simply, you know, antithetical to the concept of, of sandboxing, period? Well, I don't think it's necessarily antithetical to sandboxing in general. They, they took some baby steps with this 1073 changes that Daniel referred to. But one of the issues is that, uh, you know, we can now ask for other programs that we'd like to talk to, but we have to ask for them in our code by name. So essentially, we would have to list every program ever written for the Mac as a, a program we'd like to talk to. And, and I don't think they would uh, like that very much. Right. Yeah, you know, the um, I, I, I like to argue with uh, some of my developer friends about this because, um, you know, as you know, Dan, I can I can do a pretty good job of taking a pro <laughs> sandbox uh, uh, stance. No, you almost though, had me convinced. Yeah, I was. I was well, all for you know, it after you talked, even to me. though I'm uh, I think I, I think you have to be good at at being pro sandbox to understand, you know, what um, what is bad about it? You know, yeah. Uh, and, and like so I actually think that, you know. Theoretically, every app on a system, maybe with some small exceptions, but every app could be sandboxed with the right entitlements. And entitlements is a term we haven't used, I don't think, uh, yet, but that's the, the term Apple applies to these specific things that apps have to request permission to do. So examples of entitlements are things like writing and reading to the pictures folder or connecting to the internet. And, you know, just to take uh, Rob's example, currently... One of his utilities is a window manager, and it uses um, wide-reaching technology of inter-application communications, maybe accessibility, I don't know, yes. to achieve this. Um, so coming at this from Apple's point of view, their process is sort of looking at apps and saying, okay, this is broken by the sandbox. How do we fix this? Do we provide an entitlement to companies like Rob's so that they can say, no, we're good utilities. We want to be able to control every other app on the system. Or do we say, you know, there's this whole class of software out there that likes to do innocuous inter-application communication where innocuous means things like rearranging the windows. So um, a, a good uh, parallel to this is um, currently apps, I believe even in the sandbox are, um, able to i don't know if they have to ask for this but i i believe you're able to still take screenshots right of other applications windows and this is something where um it's sort of a very uh, a simplified interface to to controlling another app so you could imagine apple saying okay we're not going to give you wide re uh, wide reaching uh, application control but what we are going to give you is the new um you know, system-wide window manipulation API. And then apps that want to do this kind of thing need to apply for an entitlement to, you know, uh, arrange the windows of other applications. And then uh, if I'm not going to say, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but that's an example of a way that apps can be brought into the sandbox without compromising the, um, the security of the sandbox. So, um, it gets a little ridiculous if you if you go down the line and you say, oh, okay, well, the, this app, that doesn't help. And then, and then what do you do for that app? But this is basically the process that Apple has been applying. But um, I think that they just haven't gotten down the list of priorities to the point where actually enabling, you know, the relatively small number of apps that 
you know, want to re- rearrange the windows of other apps where they are considered um, a priority for Apple to address. Now, it seems interesting to me to sort of compare this to the situation we have on iOS, which is to say, you know, pretty much the apps have been sandboxed on there since day one. Um, and we've seen some developers come up with the uh, solutions to a certain extent for allowing them to interoperate with other apps. I'm thinking particularly of something like like uh, Text Expander, which lets right. other apps sort of take advantage of its text expansion qualities. Um, but that's sort of been a, a more of a reactive system into trying to figure out how to work around these things, whereas now we're trying to, you know, it's always a more difficult proposition when you're putatively taking things away, right, from the users. Um, but I'm, I'm sort of intrigued. Do you think that this, you know, there seems to be a lot of synergy these days and back and forth between iOS and OS 10 is further developments in OS 10 sandboxing. Could that sort of backlash onto iOS? Could we see more, uh, you know, a more permissive system there if OS 10 sort of fleshes out this a bit? Um, my personal perspective would be, would be no. I, th- I think the device is, well, you know, it's on, on the phone, um, to me anyway, personally, it's not as big of an issue because it, it pretty much is a unitasking device. And it'd be great to have better text expander integration or, or heck, even a nice shortcuts app from Apple that did all that. But um, lacking that isn't a deal killer. On the iPad, it's more noticeable because you have more screen real estate, more horsepower. And there are times it would be nice to be doing more than one thing. So, I, But I, I don't see them relaxing just strictly personal opinion, obviously, no inside information. I don't see the, the iOS side opening up anymore. Uh, than it presently is. I, I can wish and hope, but uh, I don't see it happening. I'm sort of curious to know, in terms of the way that, that sandboxing is working going forward, um, do you sort of see a do you sort of see this changing in such a way that uh, Apple will let system utilities and things like this sort of go through, or are they at a certain point going to lock it down and say, hey? This is it. This is the final product, and we're not going to allow anything anything different than what we've already specified. I think Daniel's got the the right approach that that they um, haven't quite drilled down far enough into the details. We'd love to see a more specific a- a- API that that let us just deal with Windows or any of the other things we do on our other applications. We use accessibility today simply because it's the only thing out there that will let us do what we need to do. So, yeah. Um, they seem, you know, that the attitude with the the first delay and the se- second delay, at least that we've seen, has been that they are listening. I mean, it wasn't the first delay was more like, okay, we're delaying it. The second delay was sort of like we're delaying it, and we need to know w- what you're having issues with. So, you know, we are now actually having active dialogue, which we didn't have in the past. So, to me, that's a good sign that they do want to figure it out. I don't, I don't think they're out to. Uh, lose a bunch of developers of system utilities and other types of programs that don't fit their sandbox model. I think they want to try to figure out how to make the sandbox work for those programs without giving up the protections you get from being in the sandbox. Yeah. And to answer your question, um, Dan, about, you know, is there going to be a point where they just say, this is it? Um, I think, I think, yes, there will be a point where some number of apps will, will basically have their functionality will not be covered. Um, how many apps is that going to be uh, remains to be seen. Uh, but, you know, right now we have a situation where, um, you know, frankly, a larger number of apps are negatively impacted than I feel comfortable with. Um, than than I think customers would feel comfortable with, you know, if you got a, if you got a customer uh, who bought an app from the app store and then um, six months from now, they see their friend who bought it directly from the 
developer's website getting updates and they're not getting anything because the updates are no longer being accepted by Apple. You know, there's going to be some amount of rage there that's going to be uh, leveled against either Apple or more likely, unfortunately, towards the developer. Um, so right now, I think what we're facing going forward is a situation where the sandbox is going to be real. It's going to be um, something that Apple is strongly encouraging developers to embrace. And some number of developers, by the nature of their apps, will simply not be able to embrace the sandbox. And what happens to those developers is, is again, it's a policy decision on Apple's part. Uh, another sort of um, vague hope that I have is that although Apple's saying right now everybody has to be sandboxed by this date, I sort of have this vague hope that they'll have um, either reconsider or maybe they've already made this decision and just aren't sharing it, but they need to have some kind of strategy for how do you deal with the apps that simply don't get sandboxed. And, um, you know, letting them die on the vine is one approach, but they could, uh, you know, they could at least, you know, um, concede at some point to to having uh a special class of application that stays on the Mac app store and is never expected to be sandboxed. Um, you know, at some point, um, if they, if they don't sort of like show their cards, then they're going to get most apps that can be sandboxed to do that. And then from that point forward, they could then, they could say, all right, this is what we're really going to do with the, um, all the software on the Mac app store that customers paid us for. And, um, and, you know, are still expecting to get not just bug fix updates, but serious feature updates. What are they going to do with that? And that's, that's, you know, that's where all the anxiety really lies and where all the challenge lies for Apple and developers and how to uh, move forward if they don't or aren't able to sandbox the apps. I want to pull back a little bit and like sort of look at the big picture of this, which is to say, you know, Apple has had at times a contentious relationship with, uh, with, you know, pundits, customers, what have you, over security. Now, you know, this has always seems a little ironic to me because obviously you compare it to something like Windows and the security on the Mac seems very good, or at least the, the you know, number of outbreaks seems much, much lower. But do you think that this sort of this, this insistence on sandboxing and, you know, the introduction of Gatekeeper, the Mac App Store, uh, is all this, this is all seems like part of a bigger play by Apple to, you know, sort of make a point about how they feel on security? Um. Uh I think so. I think it's um I think Apple continues to be terrified by the idea of Microsoft Windows um obliterating them. And so I actually think Apple still takes very seriously the competition with Windows. And if if there's one thing that Windows is famous for, it's the terrible terrible security of 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 you know the the fact that it's famous for viruses and that, and malware and anything that Apple can do to set itself apart um, it, it, either by actually being more secure or by um, having the, uh, you know, projecting a, a appearance of greater security, then that's going to uh, improve their, um, you know, their competitive uh, advantage over Windows. And so I, I see Apple striving and pushing at this so, so um, forcefully on one level because they want to get to a point where they can have an ad basically that says, you know, you remember that one that was like uh, Mac and PC about the viruses. It was just kind of like, haha, I don't get I don't get viruses. But it was it was also sort of like um, those of us who know how viruses work knew that that could change any day right. if uh, people decided to write more viruses for the Mac. And I think Apple would love to get to the point one day where they say, 
you know, come to the Mac and you will never have another malware or virus ever again. We guarantee it. And if they can do that, that is a huge marketing campaign and it does hit uh, developers or I'm sorry, it hits customers exactly where um, where customers, you know, even even very uh, non savvy customers know how annoying that stuff is. So I think if the, that if Apple, um, that's one of the outcomes I think Apple wants to see from sandboxing is being able to say, for example, um, if you, if you buy a Mac and you buy software through the Mac app store, you will never have a malware or virus. And we guarantee that. And that's a huge thing to be able to do. Rob, anything to weigh in there or? No, it's, that's a pretty good summary of it. Uh, it, obviously if you can say that you can guarantee your platform is safe, um, it will help sell many machines. The you know my my unfounded personal fear is that they want the Mac to be in a big large iPad stuck to your desk that is completely locked down. And I I just personally hope we never get there because of the the amazing amount of software that's out there that would break any rules and it will never be sandboxable in in any sort of logical manner. So I love the openness of the Mac and then I can install what I want. So if they're willing to keep this this nice uh, line between the stuff in the app store is, has been vetted and approved and is very safe. And oh, by the way, we still have a, a huge other uh, world of software out there from trusted developers who have their developer IDs. And you can therefore, you know, have a level of confidence in their code too. Um, but it doesn't have to play by the same rules. Then, then I think that's a good future. Well, I guess we'll have to see how it pans out, or we might have you guys back in another three months to see <laughs> to see if this is actually going to happen on June first. But uh, until then, I appreciate you joining me. Thanks, Rob. Thank you, Dan, and thanks, Daniel. Thanks for having me. And we'll see you next week. 